The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Hapsent Minded. My name is Jared Book. It's been a while since I've been on this podcast, uh, so I hope that you don't turn this off, that it's not Patrick and Anton who have done a great job with this podcast in the last uh, few weeks. Joining me today, we have Julian McKenzie and Scott Matlett. Julian, we'll start with you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, doing very well. Uh, it's very warm outside. I'm a little concerned about that, but uh, hey, you know, this weird this year has already been ye- weird enough, so uh, I don't know. I'm doing okay otherwise. Scott, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing about as well as I could. I forgot that I agreed to help do the show today and then went for a run, and I was laying on the floor of my room with my legs cramping. When I got a message from Jared asking if I was still good to record, I went, oh, yeah, I agreed to do that today. I'm picturing that you're still lying down on your floor with your microphone over your head. <laughs> um, like those uh, those those uh, commercials that do like the um, the perspective videos there where the camera's on the top and they're doing all these things lying down. I'm doing um, a Patrick Line interview, actually. I feel like there's a Will Ferrell movie that like did that where they're like doing all these like this gag where they're like we're running up walls and it's just like them lying on the floor. Anyway, that's anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Montreal Canadians and the Mark Bergevin busy. uh, And the big news of the week on Friday was the signing of Joseph Blandis. No, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, poor, poor Joseph Blandis. We won't talk about him. I think a little bit later on, but uh, no, obviously the like 10 minutes after 20 minutes after that signing was announced, the big signing was uh, Jeff Petrie getting extended four years, uh, an average uh, cap hit of six point five million for the four years. It goes into effect not for 2020, 2021, but twenty twenty one twenty one. Just wait, twenty twenties, twenty one twenty two. Let's forget about the the decade for a for the, the nah. let's forget about the what is what is it even called millennium. I was going to say what decade. Call that thing? Anyway, I think decade, or I don't know. Yeah, Forgive Jared, I, I, everybody. It's yeah, 2020, it guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what day it is. I don't know what year. Uh, well, I don't know what year it is. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the signing doesn't affect our cap space going into next season. It's the season afterwards. Um, obviously, the timelines are all screwed up because it's getting to October and we're not even talking about free agency yet. And anyway, you know, you know how it is. The Stanley Cup finals are still going on or they could be ending uh, today uh, as we're recording this on Saturday night. But for, for me, what this Petrie signing does, and he said it as much when uh, I think it was Arpin Basu who said 
who asked Petrie whether he spoke to Brendan Gallagher and Philip Deneau about their expiring contracts. And the the answer he that Petrie gave throughout that press conference was that he wouldn't have signed in Montreal if he didn't feel there was a chance to win. And between the Petrie signing and the Joel Edmondson trade and the Jake Allen trade, I feel like Mark Bergevin has seen what everybody else saw at the playoffs and said, hey, this team should make the playoffs in, 21, 22, in 2021. Frick, this is annoying. Uh, this come upcoming season, whenever it starts, whether it's January or December or who knows. It feels a lot like locking down Petrie and with his comments afterwards were about keeping so much of this core together because we saw this team playing at its best against the Penguins in the second half of that series and against the Flyers. And Petrie himself said he was talking to Gallagher, talking to Deno, talking to other players on the team. And clearly they've identified the key pieces and added some things in Jake Allen and Joel Edmondson that they think can help round out this group. And it's by naming those people by name, it they've identified what they need to do to continue to have success and build in this core and keep Carey Price's window, so to speak, open with that, in addition to all these young prospects coming in. And a deal like this, I wrote about a fries on the prize. There's so much flexibility with it. The term is good. It becomes very tradable if that day ever comes. There's so much to like about this now and in the future. I just think with this deal here, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I see why Jeff Petrie would want to stay with the team and he feels that the team has a chance to win. I'm not sure yet if they are a for sure playoff team next year, but I have reason to believe with the developments that they've been making over this past summer with how this playoff went, I have reason to believe we can see the Montreal Canadiens turn into a veritable playoff team over the next few seasons of his contract. And I think Jeff Petrie will ultimately be a big reason why. And I think if the Canadians, ultimately if they let him go, to replace a player like him who is able to produce on the power play, who is able to use his physical presence. He led his te- he led the team in hits last season, this past season. Uh, and just as a veteran leader, I, I, I think uh, letting a guy like him go, I think it would be pretty hard for the Canadians to replace a player of his value. So I think keeping him was not only mutually beneficial for Jeff Petrie, but also very good for the Montreal Canadiens. I, I like the move personally, and I think four years at the cap hit, 6.25 million is is pretty good. And I, for, for all we know, I think it'll look really, uh, really cost-effective pretty much near the end of that deal. I can see him still keeping up uh, his numbers for the next at least two or three seasons. So I, I really enjoy this deal for the Montreal Canadiens. I think they did the right move to sign him and to keep him around. Yeah, I, I think that what this does, and what Petrie does, what Edmondson does, what Allen does to a certain degree, is that it really allows this, the current Price Weber window, and you can include guys like Byron, um, I guess, in that as well, but it extends that window without affecting the the future window. So what this can do, and what having Petrie the in right now does is this team is is pro, this team should be considered a playoff team for the upcoming season assuming that they do get some things getting figured out and i think that they will uh obviously they're they, they address the goaltending and the defense a little bit i think that they do have to do some things up front 
whether that's moving some guys, whether that's trading some guys and, and you know trading other guys and and improving that spot. They need they need some more uh, firepower depth in that top nine. But I do think that this it, this kind of marries the first window, the the Price Weber window, and makes this more seamless into the next window. Whether you want to consider that the you know when Suzuki gets into his prime, Kanyemi gets into his prime, uh, Cole Caulfield gets into the organization. He's not even in there yet. Uh, Romanov, how he develops, and, and what this does. And a lot of people are who are against this deal will look at the you know close to four fourteen million dollars tied up to a thirty five year old Weber a thirty two year old Petrie, but I think that what this does is you, this team needs to have somebody on that right side on the top pair. You know, if one of them is not going to be able to do it, the other one has to. Right, and I think that if Montreal did not keep Jeff Petrie. We'd be, they'd be going into that that can, that next window. This is the you know when these draft picks start to play in the NHL on a regular basis, and everybody would just be looking at that defense and be like, "It'd be really nice to have another top four defenseman like Jeff Petrie." And I think that you know instead of going out and trying to find somebody to be the next Jeff Petrie, just keep him. He's a he's been one of the best offensive defensemen in the last three years you know, basically since he came to Montreal. And when you have Shea Weber, you, that's, that's what you, that you don't worry about whether he's a number one pair or another two pair. It doesn't matter. I definitely think you're right with that. And a lot's been made about whether it's going to be Weber or Petrie or this or that. The better question is why not both? And the Canadians have that now that even if Weber is declining because of the way he plays, Petrie plays an opposite style and has been outside of a hernia that he got off that was what four or five years ago. Petrie's been a very healthy defenseman for the Canadians, so that if Weber ever falters, they have a ready-made option, and even more so, they have two guys who can mentor players like Kale Fleury and um Josh Brook and Noah Juleson coming up through the ranks. There's so much that help that in the future they don't have to worry. There's some stability in the position while all these young prospects come up and we're no longer doing the, well, I hope Jared Tenorti pans out. Well, I hope Nathan Beaulieu pans out. Well, I hope Morgan Ellis pans out. I hope Greg Patteron pans out. I hope et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's actual time for development for these players instead of rushing them and going, well, I hope you make it and throwing them in the deep end against whomever's out there. Um. I, I think of Scott and the fact that he's flown the flag that Jeff Petrie has been the best defenseman on this Montreal Canadiens team and uh, for quite some time already and Shea Weber being there. But I, I, I have to wonder over the length of this contract extension that Jeff Petrie is going to be there. I have to think that Scott is going to be very ultimately proven right uh, in his assessment here. And I know age probably has a, has something to do with it here. And that's no shade on Shea Weber. He's done as excellent as best as he can at the age of 35. But this is a dude who's not going to get any younger. And I think we could see not only at a point where Jeff Petrie really shows his worth as a Montreal Canadiens defenseman, but maybe by 2022 at the earliest or even earlier, who knows, 
Jeff Petrie will assert himself as the true number one defenseman on this team with everything that he could bring. I just the fact that he's a younger guy versus Shea Weber. I I think at a point with this contract, the fact that the Canadians could say they have a number one defenseman at six point six point two five million dollars, that's really going to look like a steal. We really need to harp on the fact that this contract is what it is, guys. And Jared brought up a really interesting statistic uh, off air, and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but. Uh, in terms of guys who've been able to put up at least 10 goals or 40 points over the past few seasons. Uh, but he's, he's on a list with, with guys who are with guys like Brent Burns and, and, and that's what Victor Hedman, I think is on that list as well. There are guys on that list who are considered Norris level winning defensemen. And the fact that Jeff Petrie is a guy who's going to be locked up for the considerable future at just under six and a half million dollars. I, I really think we need to make more of a deal more of a big deal about the the term and also the 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 money attached to this contract because for a defenseman of his caliber to be signed to that money, you know, that is a really big deal for this Montreal Canadiens organization. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of, uh, to go back to what you were mentioning, the, the this is from from Sportsnet. The the list of defensemen who have 10 or more goals, 40 or more points in each of the last 3 seasons. Petrie, Burns, Hedman, John Carlson, Roman Yossi, Alex Petrangelo. I guarantee you Alex Petrangelo is going to be signing a contract for more than Jeff Petrie. And I'm not saying that Jeff Petrie is Alex Petrangelo, but they are similar players. And what what happens is that I think that the message, and I alluded to this a little bit before, is that this is a a pretty good bargain. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be I don't think it's it's insane value. This isn't a Brendan Gallagher contract, but I don't think that either side will be uh, looking back and being like, "That's a bad contract." And I think that this is the, the best kind of the best contract is the one where everyone's like, "Yeah, it works." And you know, we're in a world of black and white, uh, and and whether things are either things are great deals or horrible deals, and this is a very good deal. It's it, it's not insane value. It might prove to be. I mean, I, I Jeff Petrie has been, pro, I would say Jeff Petrie has been the most important defenseman on this Canadiens team for the last three years because, A, because Weber has been hurt so much, and, and B, because you need to have that kind of defense-offense dynamic on your defense. You know, for every Zidane O'Chara, there's a Tory Krug or a Charlie McAvoy. For every Alex Petrangelo, there's a Colton Pareko. Scott Niedermeyer, Scott Stevens, right? There needs to be that that kind of offense, defense. And, you know, we live in a world where um, a lot of people right now are trying to quantify defense in, in different ways, um, which is a long way from just worrying about plus minus. And and I think that what what Petrie does is he just he, – he's finally getting the respect I think he deserves uh, coming from Edmonton and establishing himself as a legitimate uh, top 30. I would say that Jeff Petrie is a top 30 defenseman in the NHL. I don't know if – I think you guys would probably agree with me on that one. But I, I think that he would be a top pairing defenseman on any other team that didn't have – I mean, you can argue he is a top pairing defenseman uh, with Shea Weber, but I think that a one and two is necessary for a team that wants to go far. I mean, I can agree with that. I think that Jeff Petrie is, one, underrated across a lot of the NHL, and especially within this own fan base, somehow. 
I know because Craig McTavish said in his interview with Eric Engels for Sportsnet that McTavish says that letting Petrie go and not signing him to a long-term deal was the worst move he's made as general manager. And given everything Craig McTavish has done to the Oilers, that's saying quite a lot and speaks volumes for just how important Petrie could have been to that Oilers team and how Montreal and Mark Bergevin just swooped in and took an asset that someone was going to discard for no reason. It's like, what, for like a second round pick? I'm trying to remember the deal offhand here, but like literally it was the fact that the Montreal Canadiens have uh, the defenseman that they have in Jeff Petrie. And I've said it and, and Jared has said it, but like if the Canadians got to put themselves in a point where they let him go, who is stepping up and taking over for him? Because, you know, the Canadians would either have to trade for that guy. They'd have to find one in free agency and throw a lot of money at him more than they probably would have had to give for Jeff Petrie in this case. Uh, or hope that Alexander Romanov ends up being that guy who's ready to take up the mantle for him. And he's a left-handed defenseman, so that wouldn't even matter. Or Victor <laughs> Metcalf somehow improves to be... Matthias Norlander. Or Matthias Norlander. And like that's... Yeah, that's the guy. Julian. Like at this point, it's it, like... That's not realistic to do. So uh, signing Jeff Petrie was just the right move to do. Oh, it, 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 ho- pinning your hopes on Matthias Norlander and no, no disrespect because I, I do like Matthias Norlander as a prospect, but but not signing Jeff Petrie because you have Matthias Norlander is is basically the argument of the people who want to be perpetual rebuild forever because it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> you, you can't have an entire lineup of young players it just doesn't happen you know we were we're a few months away from from people arguing that you know the canadians should roll out suzuki kotkaniemi paling evans as their center lineup and that that's not it's not gonna work in no one's in doing that right season. now like, you, you, mean tell, that. you mean all those people who were begging for ryan paling to show up in the playoffs there's none of them thought oh hey let's put out that fourth oh I'm, I'm sure people are doing that but but doing that is is basically a self-fulfilling prophecy because when you when you pin all your hopes on young players and then those young players don't perform you can just blame the fact that you didn't get the right young players and then it circles around and circles around and circles around you the canadians right now and i've said this already think twice on this podcast they should go into this off season go into next season thinking that they Anything else but a, making the playoffs is a failure. Not a nice surprise like it was this past uh, August. If they do not make the playoffs this coming season, it should be seen as a failure because this team is good enough. This team is has a whole bunch of assets they can use to make themselves better. It's a flat cap and they have a ton of cap space. If they do not make the playoffs this coming season – it should be the biggest failure of Mark Bergevin's tenure. Whoa, whoa. I just, I just want to stop you right there. This is a team that if it wasn't for this pandemic, they would not have made the playoffs and we'd all be lamenting the fact that they lost like four times to the Detroit Red Wings. And I know the playoffs did something. And I know the playoffs did something with, with how we look at Nick Suzuki now and how we look at Jesperi Kock and Yemi. This told, the playoffs told me that the Canadians are about a few pieces away Maybe just maybe just one good piece from being a consistent playoff team. And I think for me, with Canadians going into this next season, I think one big reason why they may end up being a playoff team might not necessarily just be within what improvements they make. 
but also what teams like Pittsburgh might look like next year. I'm just saying it right now here with some of the moves that Jim Rutherford is doing. This might be a hot take here. I have the Pittsburgh Penguins missing the playoffs next year. And if you look at I, I think a lot of people were making that argument last season too. And it's so Seriously, but if you look at the metrop- yeah. Metropolitan Division and all the teams that were able to make it to the playoffs this year, there are a lot of teams that ended up making it as a result of the pandemic. So, and I mean, and even if it wasn't at that case where you just had the regular eight or whatever, I still think you have a, quite a few of them between the Flyers and the Blue Jackets and, and, and the Hurricanes, just to name a few, who are going to do well. So I think it just kind of like how I felt about the team last year. You're going to need some teams to suck to to really show that, you know, this team could truly make it. And the job is not done for Mark Bergevin. He, he got it in his head. Well, I shouldn't say he got it in his head. He probably always knew. He's just always were looking for, looking for that veritable backup goaltender for Carey Price. They, they got one in Jake Allen. And now they need a scoring winger, whether it's putting out the money for Taylor Hall, whether it's trading for Brandon Saad, or you bite the bullet and you sign Bobby Ryan to a contract. There are people talking about that. But all that to say, Mark Bergevin needs to be in a position where he, where he needs to get someone up front to, to provide scoring. There are pieces that still – there's still work that needs to be done in my eyes. Before I look at the Canadians as like a consistent playoff contender. But I think to get to a point where you're just like, yeah, like it's an absolute failure. You're right on that. But like – I need to see some more in this offseason before I start thinking, all right, the Canadians really are that playoff team. Because remember, they were a few months ago, like we were dumping on them for losing every game to the Detroit Red Wings. Let, let, let me put my, my thinking in context. He still has an entire offseason to go. So I think that this is the time when you start using your draft capital. And he has. He used some of it for Jake Allen. He used some of it for Joel Edmondson. You, you use that draft capital, those prospects that you've accumulated, and you go for it. Because this team, it does need a, a couple of pieces. And if he keeps on kicking the can down the road and use the draft picks, then that is a failure. And, and I'm not saying that this team, as it currently stands on you know September 26th or 27th, is a playoff team. I'm saying if the moves are not made to solidify that, then it is a failure. Because I think that this is the time that the the Nick Suzuki, Yasperi Kutkaniemi, Carey Price, Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie, they showed enough in the small sample of the postseason that they can be counted on to deliver in a season. And I think you need to surround that now with the right pieces. I agree with you. There isn't there is there is work to be done, but there is time for that work to be done. We're looking at, you know, the draft hasn't even happened yet. Free agent frenzy hasn't happened yet. There is time here for Mark Bridgman to make those moves. And what I'm saying is if he doesn't make those moves, it is a failure. And if this team misses the playoffs, it is a failure. Because there is an opportunity here to set this team up, not just for 2020, 2021, but to set it up into that to basically make it to that there's no more windows. It just is, and and he, Mark Bridgman has said this as his mission, sit, you know, for the last five years. I feel like where he's like, we're not talking about cup windows. We want to be a contender every year. This is the time when forget about Ilya Kovalchuk as your free agent signing. Go for guys like Taylor Hall. Go for guys that fit in and can, you know, go bigger. Go bigger. And I think that, that this is the opportunity to do that. Mark Bergman has been conservative for a, a, 
I don't even want to say conservative because he's made some big moves. He's been forced into big moves. And I feel like this is the time when he has to be proactive and not reactive. This is the time to to take those chances. And, and I think if he doesn't, it'll be a failure if this team doesn't make the playoffs as a result. I think with I agree with both things in that I if the Canadians don't make the playoffs with this team, which I think they can, assuming now that they fix one of their biggest issues and they have an actual competent backup goalie to spell Carey Price, They've still got $10.5 million, not counting Carl Alsner's cap being buried in the minors, to do things this offseason. And there are teams out there with an internal cap they're going to be operating with and teams who are panicking, like the Pittsburgh Penguins. And what that means is the Canadians are in a position to take advantage of other teams doing stupid things. And it's my favorite thing to have happen because it's how they ended up with Jeff Petrie in the first place or how they ended up with Philip Deneau in the first place. With all these, with the cap staying the way that it is and the Canadians having the money that they have, they are in a position to make some serious noise and get what they want in free agency. They have, I mean, I'm pretty sure they are one of like the top three or four teams in the league, not counting the Senators and Red Wings who are going to be abhorrent again this year. But a lot of these teams are going to be operating with an internal cap $10 million below where it's at or below where the cap ceiling is. And that's their chance to make things happen. And I think Mark Bergevin knows this. We'll get through the draft, I think. We'll see some moves there. I wouldn't be shocked if there's another deal made this week for somebody because it seems like every day or every other day he's doing something to help fix up this team. And we never know what it is, but I wouldn't be shocked as draft day draws closer that if Mark Bergevin puts more uh, cards out on the table, so to speak, or even in free agency, just to seeing what he does. Because he has the pick of the litter. He can do pretty much whatever he wants right now because the Canadians have the money to do that. And other teams, quite frankly, don't right now. And they should be using that to get this team to be where it needs to be for this upcoming season. Yeah, the, the Canadians are about middle of the pack when it comes to cap space right today. But what you can't factor into that is, like you said, teams with internal caps. You have a team that have to sign big contracts this this summer or fall, this is really weird, um, whatever, this free agent period, yeah, for next season. Uh, Montreal has to sign Max Domi and Victor Mete. I don't think that's going to take a big chunk of that $10 million. Plus, like I said, like, like you mentioned, the Carl Alsner bearing contract and things like that. They, they have they have space to play with. And, and don't, don't forget that anybody that they trade for likely has salary going out in that trade, right? It, teams that are, are facing internal caps, they're not necessarily looking for just draft picks and prospects. They're going to look for, you know, NHL salaries that are maybe more cost-effective, more certainty, more long-term certainty, things like that. So there, there is uh, maneuvering that they can do. Just to close what we were talking about, about the Jeff Peachy trade, it was a second-round pick in 2015 and a conditional fifth-round pick in 2015. The conditions on the fifth-round pick I don't think ever materialized. Uh, and the second-round pick that was traded – uh, Edmonton actually traded it to uh, the Washington Cap. No, sorry. Edmonton traded that pick to the Rangers for Cam Talbot. Uh, and the Rangers traded the pick to Washington, and they selected Jonas Siegenfaller, uh with that pick. So basically, Edmonton used the pick from J- uh, Edmonton used the trade, the Jeff Petrie pick, to trade for Cam Talbot. I alluded to this earlier, but I do want to mention, uh, go back to Joseph Blandisi, uh, because 
obviously all three of us uh, have watched a rocket pretty extensively uh, this past season. Scott, for more than that. I've never watched the team play in my life. I make it all up as I go. Yeah, you, you just you just you just clip the game and you don't actually watch it. You just like, oh goal, gotta record this. Uh that's it. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I think that when th- this team is really building a lot of depth. I think there's eleven contracts, um, AHL contracts signed by the Rocket already. And when when you look at guys like and this is not the first signing they've made for the Rocket. They they signed Gustav Olsson. They signed uh, Laurent Dauphin. Now they signed Blandisi. They're really building this team to kind of grow together with the prospects. We we talk about the Canadians having a mix of veterans and prospects and young players. The Rocket are going to be that same kind of team. And I think bringing in guys like Blandisi, it, it's hard to find veterans that can buy in and play for Joel Bouchard. Not that Joel Bouchard is a is a hard coach to play for, but he's a particular coach to play for. And I and obviously it didn't work with Riley Barber. It didn't work with Phil Verone. It didn't work with Matthew Pekka. It didn't work with a lot of veterans. But it, it also, on the flip side, it has worked with a lot of veterans. And I think that that is a key here. It worked with Laurent Dauphin. It worked with Alex Belzil. It worked with Blandisi who, you know, was a point-of-game player for the Rocket in his, you know, four, short four-game stint. But that's the kind of players that the Rocket need going forward. And w- with, with Charles Houdon's uh, future up in the air, we don't know what's going to happen, whether it's in Montreal, whether it's another team, whether it's another organization, whether it's in Europe. We don't know. I don't think it's going to be in Europe because those, those roster spots have filled up um, pretty quickly. Their seasons are getting underway. So he's kind of running out of time on that front. But I, I think that, you know, the, the Laval Rocket, the, the problem was is that they either relied too much on these veterans who uh, either weren't very good or didn't have enough surrounding uh, talent, or they relied too much on young prospects who didn't have enough surrounding talent as well. And I think that, you know, the way that Rocket are going into next season, it would be a disappointment if they missed the playoffs, if there's a season Lots of ifs. We don't know what's going on um, with the hockey season, obviously. But but I think that we have to be talking about, you know, going forward as if there will be a season. The Rocket will – it'll be a disappointment if they didn't if they didn't miss the playoffs next year. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think uh, I, I still I, – there's some part of me that really thinks the Laval Rocket would have made it this year. And uh, there are guys in the locker room who understood that – the Laval Rocket team making the playoffs, even in a year, if the Canadians would have missed the playoffs, they, there are some players who understood that playing uh, in a postseason in some sort would have been huge for this city. And I think, you know, it's, just, it's one thing for the Canadians to make the playoffs, but so many fans want to look at the prospect crop that's been assembled on this team and really want to have hope. There's been so many years in the past where the Canadians have drafted all these players and people put all their high hopes on guys like Alex Galchenyuk uh, and and they kind of bought him out. But the AHL is the place where you see some of those guys take that next step. And the Laval Rocket playing playoff hockey would be huge for uh, the fans who show up to those games because, you know, I think uh, all of us, uh, well, Scott has not been to a game at Plaza Bell, but Jared, I know you have, and you've seen what the place is like when fans are really into a game at, at the at Plaza Bell. 
And them in the playoffs, especially if they're in a situation where the Canadians either are out or either eliminated or just don't make the playoffs at all, fans are going to flock over there because it's their opportunity to see the next guys come up. A guy like Caden Primo, a lot of people are waiting to see what will be his, his next steps as a pro hockey player. People are going to come to see that. So I think for the players, for the for the organization, not one standpoint, of course it makes sense, but I still maintain that the fans, it's going to be big for them to see that the there's 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 young players in this organization you know we can talk about ad nauseum on on slack and on podcasts and stuff like that but there are young players really worth caring about and worth giving a damn about on this team if you're if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan and i'm looking at the AHL contracts they have signed now on elite prospects they also have Alexander Elaine and Joseph Blandizi added on there but in there, the oldest person signed to an AHL deal is Kevin Lynch, who is uh, born in 1991, which means he's younger than I am. And for the AHL, which is sometimes more journeymen who are a little bit older, this team, the guys they're signing are also young, and they're seeing a lot of what they have as we prepare for uh, the arrival of the ECHL club in the next year or so. And... They're building depth behind that. We know that guys like Yessi Yolanen are going to be over here and Arsen Hissamutadinov and whomever gets sent down from the AHL. But behind that, and in case they get injured, there's guys like Samuel Vigneault. There's guys like Pascal Aquin who've played in the minor leagues that they can put into these lineups and have someone with experience and see where they're at to fill out the roster going forward. Like Yannick Veilleux went from a <laughs> professional tryout to almost getting an NHL contract last season, which is bonkers. And if you need any proof that if you buy into Joel Bouchard's system, it's going to reward you. Alex Belzeal played NHL playoff games this year. Jake Evans is likely the fourth line center next year. He was the fourth last pick in his draft class. It's pretty amazing to see that when you buy in, Joel Bouchard makes it worth your while. Yeah, I think that... You know, be, watching Joel Bouchard from from relatively close, uh, like like me and Julian and Scott, you've talked to him as well um, after games and, and, and things like that. He he repeats the same things a lot, and one of the things that that sticks with me is I'm demanding but fair, and I think that he demands a lot of his players and the ones that that buy in. He he says that a lot too that people have to buy in. But the people who who give that effort get rewarded handsomely, and and Veilleux is a perfect example of that Veilleux had a like he basically signed to to put up points and get the attention of teams in Europe, and then obviously the pandemic happened and, and a lot of things changed. But he legitimately he could look at Alex Belzil and be like, "That can be me," uh, you know. He's a guy who's. You know, I don't think he's ever had an NHL contract. Belzil never had an NHL contract before the Canadian signed him uh, after his first year in Laval. And that's a path that uh, was missing. You know, and, and Julian mentioned the fans watching the AHL team. There were a lot of years when the AHL team would bring guys up to play one shift or a few games here and there. And basically, it was just a fill spot. Legitimately, the AHL team now has guys who could probably play in the NHL if they needed to, but because of the organizational depth that is there right now, they aren't forced into that. And I think that we mentioned the prospect pool a lot, 
and guys who are you know the the tenth, eleventh, twelfth ranked prospects in your organization, compare them to the tenth, eleventh, twelfth ranked prospects three, four years ago. It's not even close, and you kind of see that with Laval, where Lucas Vedemo was a, a third line center for most of the time, sometimes even a fourth line center in Laval. He steps up, goes to the NHL, and doesn't look out of place. You know, Carl Alsner, Xavier Ouellette played playoff games uh, for, for the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think there's anybody who would have thought that would have been uh, the case. Uh, not that he's a bad player, just that he was relatively far down the depth chart. You know, he was probably behind Carl Alsner, and then Alsner opted out, so he moves up a little bit. And they move Mete over to the right side. They don't want to play, uh, you know, guys like Flurry or Jolson on the right side. There's a, a Christian Foline, um, you know, had some some issues as well. So it, it, there's, it, it just the the Canadians organization is actually an organization now. You're not looking at you know twenty four twenty five guys and like, or even less. You're looking at guys who are legitimately good. Ryan Paling, you know, a lot of people wanted him to play NHL games, and and I think that you know he hasn't stood out in Laval, and I don't think that's a testament to him. It's his first pro year. Not everybody can be Nick Suzuki. You know, look at Kale Fleury. Nobody was calling for Kale Fleury to be called up uh, two years ago, and then he starts, you know, the next season in the NHL. And I think that Ryan Paling mm-hmm. is kind of a victim of his immediate success in his first NHL game, uh, which kind of raised expectations a tad. Uh, I'm being, you know, a little bit facetious there. But I, I think that what this is doing is this is building – uh, an organization and, and part of that is that it's close there's they're close in proximity but a lot of it is that you know a, a, an example in a different sport toronto blue jays toronto blue jays won the double a championship a couple years ago with guys like guerrero bichette biggio and now they're all in the major league on the major league team in the playoffs and i think that the canadians have a unique um opportunity to kind of not necessarily replicate that because guys like suzuki didn't never touch the ahl uh, Kot Kinyemi did for a little bit. So it's not exactly the same thing, but these guys know each other from development camps, prospect camps. And I think that there is that opportunity to kind of grow up together in, into a in, into a team. I think Suzuki and Caulfield were roommates at at, at, um, at rookie camp, uh, development camp, sorry, last year. And I think that that's the kind of thing that is going to help this team because you look at teams, it, look at the teams in the Stanley Cup final right now, Dallas and Tampa Bay. Both had a lot of success at the AHL level, both of them. Uh, I think they're, they're, Dallas, uh, Dallas's farm team made the final, or did, I don't think they lost to Toronto in the final, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong with that, that about that in the, the Calder Cup final. And then Tampa Bay, obviously Syracuse, has had a lot of success in the AHL. That's how you build teams. And, and I think that it, it's, it's, there's a lot of things that people look at prospect development at the draft table. Um, but there's a lot of steps in between the draft and when these uh, prospects end up performing. And part of that is the AHL. And the Canadians, let's be real, did not have that as a legitimate option uh, for a lot of years. No, um, I think uh, I, I'm with you on on the optimism that's there with with this team in terms of how they're trying to build from their prospects and 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 how and we're both on the same page on how big of a deal the AHL team seeing success would be for the team going forward it's just funny to hear all this and just think you know the Montreal Canadiens with the 
optimism that they've built with the promise that they've built throughout the playoffs. I still think, and maybe this is just the nature of how people are, how reactive people can be in this city, how media can be in this city, and myself included, I guess. The Montreal Canadiens are like a couple bad games away from all that washing away. And for us to be sitting back here in our respective seats doing a podcast about how this team needs to change. So it's very, it's just, it's like you have to temper expectations a little bit. We're not, I mean, we're not all saying like the Canadiens are going to be like the Stanley Cup final team or anything like that. But it's just, I, I think to temper expectations a little bit, I think is the thing to do. And like I said, there's a lot of work for this team to be done and just, but I still think uh, to round up the AHL topic, like if they do well, if they start to make the playoffs a bit more consistently going forward, like that is huge for the organization going forward. Yeah. I think a lot of that is like what Julian said is that the optimism is there and that they're making the right steps. You can see the way forward. Now it doesn't feel like they're just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it works. They're developing prospects. They're using their draft capital and drafting, you know, some high risk picks, trying to take as many chances as they can. And those who are making the AHL are actually getting time to develop and learn and play and are being thrust into the NHL. And then when they make the NHL, they're ready to play. Or even if they had to go back between the AHL for a little bit, like Yasperi Kotkaniemi did, it pays off for them and they're not having their development slowed down. Everything is falling in place and they're looking like a team that now their next step is, okay, make the playoffs next year and then build off of that. Go as far as you can with this and continue to build off of that. There's a progression that we're seeing. There's a process that's being followed and that's the best possible thing you could hope for. Yeah, that's that's the thing is it's not, we're not, the optimism isn't just because the Canadians beat the Penguins in a best of five series and put up a fight against Philadelphia. It's not just because of that. It's it's how they did it. If if you know, it's a lot of people were questioning Yasperi Kotkaniemi, and I'll use him as an example. And it, it was a small sample, yes, but he also showed things that he had never shown before. That's growth. That's it's 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 progression. And and I'm not. I I know I said that if they don't make the playoffs, it's a failure. But what I'm looking at is not even the results. It's the, it's the, it's the process, and, and I don't want to, <laughs> I I I I don't want to sound too much like Joel Embiid here. But it, tr- the process needs to be sound, and what they're doing is they're following blueprints that other organizations have used to win. You know, I mentioned, uh, I, I mentioned uh, the AHL success of Dallas and Tampa Bay. 16-17, the Syracuse Crunch lost the Calder Cup final. 17-18, the Texas Stars lost the AHL final. Uh, ironically, I also have a list of uh, Calder Cup MVPs. On that list, obviously, Carey Price in 06-07. But listen to this. Thomas Tatar in 12-13. Jordan Wheel in 14-15 was also a Calder Cup MVP. Um, little tidbit for you there. Uh, but honestly... It's not just the results. And I think that, you know, Julian, you mentioned fans going crazy after a couple of bad games. Listen, Montreal is a results town. They don't <laughs> like process. They don't. It's just, they don't, they don't like it. And and I think a lot of that is because there was no process a lot of times. All, all Montreal fans had was results, right? You know, the, the 2010 run with Yaroslav Halak, there was no process to that. It was just, hey, we won, good. 
let's keep trying to win random games. Um, and I think that the, the, the process is what is different now. Is that even if there are bumps on the road, and there will be bumps in the road, look, 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 this year was a bump in the road. This team was one point out, two points out of a playoff spot uh, two years ago. We all expected a little bit of growth, and, and Julian, you mentioned some points about other teams improving around them and, and things like that. No one expected them to be the ninth worst team in the NHL this year, and they were. There's going to be bumps in the road. There will, there have been, they will be, and what what will happen? Is that, but but the process has always been there, and and I think that that's the important part. Like Scott mentioned, there's a plan. You can see two, three, four steps ahead, and I think that's the encouraging part. It's not necessarily the playoffs. It's not the Rockets' uh, run to end their season. That helps, obviously. You ob- you can't go on process forever. Eventually, you will need results. That's just a fact. You know, if you can talk about process all you want, but if you miss the playoffs every year. Um, the process gets old really fast or you panic and make different moves. So I, I do think that, yes, the results are important, but there's there's more than just the results um, that are, are fueling this, this recent wave of optimism. If I may, um, there's one other point I just kind of want to make about how awesome it is to see like an AHL team uh, do well. I, I bring up the Syracuse crunch and I'm, I'm trying to find this specific tweet they put up at the start of the Stanley Cup final where they congratulated all of these different players who came up from their organization who are now playing in the final and they have a whole bunch of them who are there. And it's funny that we don't we don't hear more people talk about the Montreal Canadiens looking to the Tampa Bay Lightning as a model considering Julian Breezebaugh was in the organization. But I'm just looking at this this post right now. Syracuse Crunch alumni. I'm I'm looking at it off an easy count here. What like 18 players that are on the Tampa Bay Lightning right now at some point played for their AHL affiliate. Uh, their even their head coach, one of their assistants, even their video coordinator at one point was a part of that organization. Uh, I can think of at least two players off the top of my head right now who were on that Crunch team in 2017 that went to the final that are with the Lightning who uh, are in the Stanley Cup final now, Anthony Sorelli and Yanni Gord. And for the Dallas Stars, when the Texas Stars won in 2014, uh, Jamie Alexiak, uh, Radic Faxa, who has been dealing with injury issues. You know, just, just to say here, I mean, you don't necessarily have to win the Calder Cup, but to have players who have grown up in your organization, the AHL, and have seen success playing uh, deep into playoffs, big deal. I just wanted to make that point. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, let, let me take you one step further. Okay, let's look at the Montreal Canadiens this year in the playoffs. Let's l- l- let's count together how many players played mm-hmm. in the AHL in the last couple of years. You have Jesperi Kutkaniemi, that's one. You have Victor Mete, two. Belzil, three. Evans, four. Willette, five. Houdon, six. Dale Wee, seven. Seven out of the 22 players who played a playoff game for the Montreal Canadiens this year were in the AHL either this year or last year. That's significant because that has never happened before, right? You go back to, uh, you know, and, and, you know, guys like Price and Gallagher obviously played in the AHL um, for the Canadians. Dano, Tatar, we mentioned him before, Wheel, they played in the AHL as well. But, you know, just in the last two years to have seven of the 22 players and Charlie Lindgren as well, the backup goalie. So I want to make it eight out of 23 uh, because he was dressed for all the games. That, that's almost, that's, that's over a quarter that that's never happened before. 
If you go back and look at their playoff teams in 2016, in 2014, the, that you will never, you won't get close to eight. You'll get what, maybe Gallagher, and you know a couple of guys like that. It, it's never been eight out of 23, and that's significant in my mind, because like you mentioned, that that's the two teams that are having the most success right now had exactly that same success, that that same pattern, and and I think that that's that's something that's changed in the last few years, and that's part of the process. Also with the crunch, uh, Julian Breezeball was their GM and they had a whole bunch of other guys in an organization who came up and ended up being those guys uh, that are helping this team to the final. It's not even just the players thing. It's an organizational thing as well. I mean, I don't know why we're not making a bigger deal that the, well, actually I know why we're not making a bigger deal while the Tampa Bay lightning are not a bigger, more a franchise that is seen as kind of like a model for everyone to follow is because they haven't won yet. But by the time you listen to this podcast, that might've changed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I, and that's that, that's the part of results, right? I mean, Tampa Bay has been a team that's been has had a great process for years, but because they haven't gone over that that last hurdle, uh people forget about it. the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I know this is going to probably piss off a lot of Canadians fans. But the Toronto Maple Leafs are another team that has built their team on on process. And and I'm not talking about Matthews and Tavares and, and guys like that. I'm talking about guys lower down the lineup. Uh, their AHL coach was promoted from uh, their NHL coach was promoted from the AHL. Their their GM was promoted from the AHL. Kyle Dubas was the uh, one I called a cup as GM of the Marlies. And, and you know you look at how they're hiring um, all these different people from different backgrounds. Their their process is sound. And I know a lot of people like to say, "Oh, numbers, analytics, things like that." But no, the, the Maple Leafs they need to have those results eventually. And, you know, yes, there are missteps like there were for Tampa Bay as well. But but that's another team that's been process-oriented and maybe not getting the, the credit they deserve because of their results. And like I said, it's a two-step process that you need to build. Um, you build a, a foundation, and then you need that foundation to win. And the Canadians for a couple of years now have been waiting for those those results. And, and making the playoffs under any circumstances uh, was a positive because we saw what that can bring. Uh, guys like Nick Suzuki, what that can bring, guys like uh, Yasperi Kotkaniemi, and what that proved to Mark Bergevin is that Carey Price, when he's rested, can be Carey Price. And, and I think that, that what, he's taking the right steps from that small sample that we saw. And Scott mentioned a lot of teams are going to be panicking based on what's happened. Uh, Mark Bergevin is not panicking. He's, he saw what happened, and he's building around that in the right way, at least in my opinion. I think that's where we'll wrap it up for this episode. Uh, we'll obviously be back if there's any news. We have the draft coming up. Uh, we have free agency coming up the same week. It's going to be a crazy week uh, at Eyes on the Prize. A lot of stuff down the pipeline. And we'll have all your breaking news and analysis on the website, HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Uh, we'll have podcasts as well when things happen. Uh, we'll try for every week, but obviously the off season, we don't know how long this off season is going to last. So we have to, we have to pace ourselves a little bit, but we'll have a lot more stuff. Uh, Scott, Julian, thank you so much for joining me and uh, thank you for listening and we'll uh, stay safe and we'll see you next time on Haps and Mining.